Setting your property taxes is a tart form. This week, it's all about municipal taxation. We'll be talking with two tax gurus about everything you need to know about taxes. And apparently everything we need to know, as we got things wrong last episode. Whoops. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 84. And last week, we offered up a voicelink.fm link for listeners to leave a message if they uh, had questions or comments about our podcast. And we got one, which we're very happy about. I logged in and I see there was two. One was a test and then there was a real one. And it was a real question. And it was addressed specifically to you, Troy. So why don't we play the clip and then you can answer. I'm Heidi, a longtime listener, but first time caller, big fan of the podcast. Just have a quick note slash question. In episode 80, Troy said that if someone drops something off at his house, he would drop something off at theirs. I'd like to say it has been 20 days since I dropped an Easter treat at his house, and every day that passes, the expectations of what will be delivered to mine increase. So my question is, is Troy lying to his listeners, or do I just need to be patient? Well, thanks for uh, the message, Heidi. Um, I will say I do appreciate you giving me an out in that message that you do need to be more patient. (laughs) So in my defense, okay, I received these treats and I took a picture. I posted on Twitter and I was very excited about it. And that night I went and made uh, reciprocal treats. Uh, Unfortunately, the subsequent day, I ate those reciprocal <laughs> treats and time passed. And I knew as time passed that it got more and more uncomfortable to just drop off the treat again. <laughs> if I ignore this problem long enough, will it go away? Turns out, no. It didn't It didn't happen that way for you, Troy. No. Well, you'll have to make something now. Thank you very much, Heidi, for the question and for keeping us honest, really. If you have a question or comment, preferably addressed to Mac... You can always go to voicelink.fm slash speaking municipally or find the link in our show notes. Now on to the rapid fire. The opening of Peter's Drive-In, the province-renowned establishment that earned speaking municipally's coveted best establishment that you always think is going to taste good but never does in 2019, it drew long crowds at their new Calgary Trail location. The establishment, originally opened in Calgary before expanding to Red Deer, had previously been a staple of Edmontonian summer road trip adventures, mixing the warm, exciting feeling of road trips with close friends and family, with mediocre burgers and passable fries, leaving enduring associations in the minds of Edmontonians of the joy they experienced attending the drive-in. We interviewed some of the 25 car drivers in line and heard feedback like, quote, it reminds me of the good old days. Gretzky, City of Champions, and, quote, I love driving to the mountains, and I love Pete's, end quote. With Edmonton Waste Management confirming that they're only hitting 21% diversion from landfill, we expect to see a huge influx in half-eaten burgers hitting our landfill in the coming weeks. The milkshake cups will be empty, though. 2020 has seen a 17% increase in the number of photo radar tickets issued, and Edmonton Police Services has issued over 100 tickets to motorists speeding in excess of 50 kilometers per hour over the limit since mid-March. This has led to a joint call from the mayor and the police chief for the province to allow police to impound vehicles traveling at excessive speeds. Upon learning of the letter, Edmonton City Administration began drafting some additional amendments to align with their practices and procedures on fairness. 
said a team lead in the Office of Traffic Safety, quote, it's important that our rules and regulations are fair to everyone, no matter how they get around. If we're going to start seizing vehicles, we'll also make sure to deploy peace officers to impound bicycles from riders caught on the sidewalk and shoes from children caught skipping. Remember, place your foot firmly and flatly on the ground. Otherwise, you might trip and fall into the road in front of a car doing 90 in a 30 zone. It would be really hard to tell who's at fault then. Another two municipalities, including Leduc, have left the Regional Transit Service Commission. In a statement, Leduc's mayor announced, and I'm only slightly paraphrasing here, quote, Hey, we actually read the agreement now. Guess we should have done that before we voted on it, huh? Peace out, bros. Enjoy your new buses. We're taking our 1.7% of the commission's operating costs that we would have been on the hook for, and we're just going to build a city of outlet malls, end quote, approximately. Edmonton City Councilor and RTSC Damage Control Officer Michael Walters called the decision, quote, disappointing, end quote. But the RTSC will still be submitting their proposal for regional collaboration to the province in hopes that they will approve an agreement where one big player has complete and total hegemonic control over all the others. We sent letters to the remaining other nine municipalities asking them to blink twice if Edmonton was forcing them to sign a document they didn't want, but due to social distancing protocols, we were unable to visually verify whether or not they blinked. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by The Loop, a new podcast from CBC Edmonton. Host Tara McCarthy of Edmonton AM takes you behind the scenes every week, sharing the details that don't make it into a typical radio or TV story. There's always more to the story and more to learn about our city. That's what The Loop is for. You can find The Loop on the CBC Listen app or wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can also find it online at cbc.ca slash Edmonton. We're taking a big break from COVID. Now, I'm told by our guests that it's impossible to completely separate from COVID these days, but darn if we're not doing our best effort. So today we're going to be talking about assessment and taxation. Yes, for the whole episode. Cozy in for a nice snuggle session, nice fall asleep, because uh, we're going to be talking about taxes the whole time. And I'm sure my guests appreciate me introing it precisely as that. Uh, so Mac, who's joining us this week? Well, we have two folks very passionate about property taxes and assessment, and so they're the perfect people to help us understand this better. We have Kate Watt, who is the branch manager of assessment and taxation at the City of Edmonton. Hi, Kate. Hi. And Anton Sabo, who's the director of the Integrated Business and Customer Solutions section within assessment and taxation at the City of Edmonton. Welcome, Anton. Thank you very much. All right. Well, let's get into it. I think the very first thing we need to uh, address is last week's episode. We tried very hard, Troy, to get it all accurate and be correct. Um, but our two guests today are listeners and have found some areas that we could have improved upon. So, so Kate, over to you. What did we get wrong? <laughs> you were so terribly close. Oh, so close. A couple of things, just two. First of all, the province did not actually uh, reduce the amount of money they're taking. Um, what they did was freeze it. So the education property tax for this year is frozen at last year's levels. You know, kudos to them. They were going to increase it. Instead, they just froze it. And because we have a slightly larger tax base and because uh, we overpaid last year, that actually results in quite a significant reduction just for Edmonton, which is uh, good news. And the other thing is you confuse tax rates with tax levy, which is a common and critical error. The two things are extremely related, but completely different. <laughs> okay, 
So what are the key terms that we need to know to understand what's going on with property taxes? Well, I think I'll um, I'll take from sort of the assessment side and leave Anton to talk to you guys about the tax side. But um, I'm an assessor by trade. And what I do is value all of the property in Edmonton. I mean, I have an amazing team of people who actually do it for me, but that's essentially what our job is as assessors. We use some pretty strict best practices. It is an actual profession. And there are a bunch of us across the province and across Canada and across the world that do this kind of work. And there are some really strict best practices that go along with that. Um, One of the things we use in assessment in Alberta is the concept of market value, which means that we are obliged to estimate the value of, of each property as it would sell in an open market between a buyer and a seller who are sort of completely devoid of any interest. So it's very critical that 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 is the the benchmark that we use when we create the estimates for value. We use um, three different uh, ways of getting to that number. One is we compare sales. Another is we kind of separate it into the cost of land and then add the cost of the, uh, the buildings and then minus depreciation. And then we also look at incomes um, and kind of work back from from cash flow in order to kind of estimate what an, an investor might expect to get. So there are some, I guess the the point to really drive home is that when we do an assessment, when we value your property, we are doing it using a lot of information, a lot of data, mathematical modeling, statistical testing. It's a pretty sophisticated operation. And uh, there's a bunch of quality control tests and audit processes that the whole thing goes through. Um, before we come up with that number. A couple of other things to mention. Um, We we do it every year. We annually reassess in Alberta, which is quite unusual. It's a best practice for sure. And we're kind of not unique, but we're one of the leading jurisdictions on that basis. And we use a valuation date of July the 1st of each year. So basically, we estimate what all property in this uh, city would likely sell for if it was to sell on July the 1st of each year. So that's homes, that's businesses, like uh, industrial buildings, things like that, multifamily homes, apartment buildings, everything, right? Everything. Uh, We actually also assess, in a small way, machinery and equipment. Um, But in Edmonton, we don't tax machinery and equipment. And machinery and equipment assessment and taxation is kind of a big deal in uh, Alberta. But Edmonton and Calgary and a couple other places are unique in that we don't actually tax it. Are you saying that in municipal jurisdictions, uh, like rural municipalities, they assess your tractor and you're taxed on it municipally? No, not your tractor, but various other parts of uh, processing and manufacturing. It's like it's its whole own uh, unique way of, of doing assessment. And there are people that specialize very heavily in it. So if you can think of the, the enormous um, plants up in uh, Wood Buffalo, those contain enormous billions of dollars of what is termed machinery equipment. And all of that is assessed and taxed by that that municipality. In rural municipalities, the, the machinery and equipment and also what is known as linear property, which is things like oil wells and pipelines and telecommunication lines, do contribute a lot to, to the tax base in, in, those, uh, in those areas. Interesting. So you do all this work and then you find out the total value of all the property in the city. What is that number? So we're upwards of $175 billion. And then, of course, there's always distinctions there between what is what we call taxable assessment and what we call just assessment, right? So there are things that we might assess, 
that aren't taxed, right? So machinery equipment is one of those things. But the same thing goes for hospitals, universities, churches, some not-for-profits. So all those things we still have assessments on, but they wouldn't be part of that tax base. So the overall tax base is almost at the $200 billion mark, but the taxable assessment base is about $175 billion. This is just for fun, but off the top of your head, do you know what the assessed value of something like the U of A is? Uh, it's a big number, and every single property is going to be a different uh, number associated with that, right? So and in some ways, you know, it's less of an interest to us because there's no revenue coming in from it, right? So we don't necessarily focus too much in on, on those individual assessments. Although uh, university dorms are considered to be taxable from municipal perspective. So there is some distinctions there. Something like the U of A or other campuses, those are included in that $175 billion. That's the total assessment base, right? $195 or about the $200 billion is more of the, the total, including the U of A. What we would call those types of properties are exempt properties. So they're assessed, but they're not taxed. So they don't form part of our tax base. So um, essentially for those properties, we as a society have decided that, you know, they're important and they deserve um, support. And so we will pay their, their part of the, of the tax bill. That's what happens generally. And by we, of course, we mean every taxpayer in, in Edmonton. So it's the kind of the way that process works. Not, not we, the city. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we as property owners pay on behalf of, Things like universities and churches and hospitals and so on. Right. And to kind of jump in then, I guess, to link what Kate's been talking about in terms of assessment value to go back to your original question about tax rates. So the way that essentially works is as, as detailed and you know complicated the assessment as the assessment process is, property taxes, the tax side of things, is actually a very simple formula. And really all it is is talking about how much money the city needs to collect in property taxes, or what I'd call the budget, although it's only a subset of the budget. It's the property tax component of the budget. How much we need to collect divided by the amount of assessment that we have out there, right? And so it's simple division, simple math, and the result of that number is your tax rate. And that tax rate can be called different things. Some people call it the mill rate or percentage, right? That's always a question of how you're representing it. So the tax rate is the raw calculation, budget, you know, the total amount you want to collect divided by the assessment. A mill rate is, you know, from our metric system, mills, that rate multiplied by a thousand. It's just an easier way of communicating instead of saying, oh, what's your rate? Well, our rate is 0 0.0185037. We just say it's about 18, that kind of thing. So it's a simpler way of communicating, but it's not the number you're going to multiply your assessment by. And then sometimes people talk about percentages, right? So they'll say the, the rate's 1%. Well, that's going to be essentially by 100, right? Every $100, what are you going to be paying in terms of taxes? So those are the rates. And the, the distinction there, right, between the rate and the levy, which is what Kate was getting at earlier, is to make it really clear that what council is talking about is they're talking about the budget component or the, the levy, right? They're talking about how much money they need to collect in any given year. And when they're talking about their increase, they're talking about increasing that levy. So they might say, you know, we need to increase that levy by... 1.3% uh, overall this year. But what happens to the rate is going to be both a result of that levy increase, but also a result of what happens with the assessment base, right? So as the nature of that formula works, it's a positive relationship. Essentially, any increase in the levy results in a corresponding increase to the rate because it's in the numerator of that equation. But the assessment's in the denominator, right? So when assessment values increase, and this is the way it works across all property tax jurisdictions, or at least most of them, tax rates will actually drop, right? Because as your denominator gets bigger, you don't need to have as many dollars collected per dollar of assessment, and vice versa. So if your assessment values in the city as a whole decrease, 
your rate is going to increase. So that rate, this is always a thing, right? The rate could be increasing or decreasing by more than what the levy is changing by, right? Because there's always two factors that impact the rate, the budget and the assessment. But then the uh, actual amount that people are going to pay is also dependent on, okay, here's the rate, but how did your assessment change? So if the rate, let's say, went up 5%, but your value went down 3%, well, then you might still see around that you know, 1.3% or 2%, whatever that math would work out to, increase, right? So that's the trick. And this is why the uh, news releases will say a typical single-family home. Yeah, then the typical thing is its own sometimes boondoggle. We do try to talk about a typical home because as much as I um, admire Anton for saying that, you know, the tax piece of it is actually quite simple, even just listening to him try to explain numerators, dominators, changes in property tax is not as conceptually obvious as, say, an income tax is. And that is because it is reliant on two pieces, it's like two moving parts that end up moving a third part. And oftentimes what we see out there in the media is mixing up of like which of these parts they're talking about. So we do try to come up with, you know, a typical home. If you're uh, the owner of a, of a single family dwelling that is exactly on the city's median, like it's assessed right in the middle of all of the assessments, you will see the exact change in taxes that, that the levy has changed. But not everybody has that typical home. You right. know, in, in theory, there's only one. Right. <laughs> the typical home is yeah. in the middle of array. <laughs> and that array, you know, we can all sort of fit on, on multiple ends of it. And see, that's where, of course, this always where it gets challenging too, because Kate is going to be about that overall assessment change rather than the median assessment change that will impact the, you know, you're, you're seeing exactly the same change as what overall happened to that number. That's when you're going to be seeing the, the tax increase or the whatever the council approved tax increase was. Okay, so I want to just put this back into the numbers that we've talked about on the podcast recently. So the, we're, the, the tax levy funds the operating budget first, right? Not the capital budget? Yeah, exactly, right? So when we're talking about operating budget, essentially property taxes, your operating budget, but a component of your operating budget is debt servicing, right? So there'll be some overlap, but for the most yeah. part, you're correct. Okay, so and the overall operating budget for the city is about $3 billion. And they talked about the tax levy component of that being 1.7, I think, right? Or maybe it was 3.8, 1.7. But as you said, there's a smaller part of the overall budget which comes from the taxes. The other parts come from grants and, and other funding sources, revenues and Correct, things like yeah. that. Correct? Yeah, so that $3 billion, about 1.7 of it is tax levy, that's us. And the rest of it is from these other sources. And we're not talking about COVID, so I don't need to go there. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, I mean, the primary sources you're talking about are going to be you know, transit revenue, user fees from rec facilities. Uh, we have EPCOR, of course, wholly owned by Edmonton, so we get a dividend from EPCOR. There are franchise fees for all the utility companies that run lines through City of Edmonton property, uh, grants from the from the different orders of government, and then other revenues we might get, say, from, for example, permits that uh, people take out, things along those lines. So council looks at their budget, says the you know the part of the budget that we're not going to get from revenue in these other sources is one point seven, and then they look at the assessment values and are able to say this is 
therefore the amount that we need to change the levy one way or the other? No. So in the end, all they're going to concern themselves with is what their revenue requirement is. You are correct that they're going to just fill the hole with whatever is remaining with property tax. That has to be kind of their backstop, right? It's the backbone of municipal finance at the end of the day. Uh, but they're not going to ask questions around the assessment values. Those things are very legislated. They're locked in. They don't get to change the okay. way that part works. All we get to, we'll tell them is if you need this much more, this is what it's going to look like in terms of a levy increase or a tax increase for the typical property owner, right? So every property owner is going to see a bit of a different change depending on how their assessment value changed compared to the overall assessment change. Uh, but they'll look strictly at the budget side. So if I go back to that formula, that budget component, that levy component, that's their domain. That's council's conversation. They talk about how much money they want to fit into that number. The assessment number, that's all our branch. That's the assessor is doing their work. And the tax rate is just a result. The assessment piece is quite divorced from council and from municipal politics and provincial politics and so forth. That's one of the reasons that assessors are a profession and have to sort of maintain, as well as being part of the common discourse, we also have to maintain some separation because we need to make sure that our job is focused in, most entirely on um, the fair and equitable distribution of that tax burden according to the legislation. So, so within the parameters and the laws and that we that we are given through the Municipal Government Act and its various regulations, that dictates how we assess property. And it's not allowed, that piece of it is not allowed to be dragged into any other kind of conversation. Council can do whatever it wants on the tax side, but on the assessment side, assessors have to be very, very clear and work within very defined ethical boundaries. So given the immense amount of effort both of you just took to explain this to us, would it not make more sense, in your opinion, to, when we're talking about the budget, just talk about the levy increase? Council wants an extra $200 million, say that's going to be a 10% increase over the previous levy, and we report it as a 10% levy increase. Doesn't that make more sense and communicate more effectively? I think the issue that we've I've faced, at least in my time of working with the city, is that the question that council members always ask, and I think it's rightfully uh, a question of theirs to ask, is, well, what is the impact of this change on, on property owners? They want to know that component more so than what just the revenue implications are. And the way property tax works as well is that you're going to see a larger increase in terms of our overall revenues then what's going to impact property owners in terms of taxes? Both in because, of course, there's the other parts of revenue pie that we talked about, but also because every single year, new structures, new, new houses are, and new buildings are built in Edmonton. And they're adding in additional revenue into the, into the tax base. So our levy is increasing without any impact on property owners, right? There's no additional tax increase. No one else sees a big tax increase. But now these new people are contributing taxes as well, which results in that levy going up further. So you might see... A 5% levy increase, a 5% overall property tax increase, but we only had to increase taxes by that 1.3%, right? So that's always the delicate balance we're trying to play there. Yeah, the difference between market growth and real growth um, of the assessment base is, is, a, is a very important me mechanism within the assessment property tax system. And that one is also a little bit hard to kind of wrap your head around. But, but Anton's point is right that, you know, if you've got a tax base of four houses and each house is contributing, you know, $1,000, then you've got a pool of money of $4,000. But if you add another house, you have a choice. Either you can 
collect $5,000 or you can divide the $4,000 between the five houses. That denominator, the assessment base is also kind of critical. And that is made up of two aspects as well, both market driven, like the value of the home compared to its value last year, which is determined by economic circumstances, but then also growth, you know, and, and all of the additional properties that are being added to the city um, add to that tax base and influence what we ultimately end up paying as individuals. So you, we've talked a lot about the residential aspect of all of this, the typical single family home, but this year, for example, we uh, had a uh, zero increase for uh, residential properties and a decrease for business properties. So what's the rough difference of the tax base? About how much does business make up in our tax assessment? We have 56.6% for residential and 43.4% for non-residential. Those numbers over time have shifted uh, towards the residential side. I mean, this is one of those discussions that is perennial in terms of what Uh, the distribution should be between residential and non-residential. For a little bit of kind of context there, uh, if we kind of compare how that's changed over time, I'm just trying to see here. So back in 1996, for example, residential was only paying about 44% of the overall levy, and now they're upwards of that 56%. So there is a shifting over to residential. Most of that is not because of council making policy decisions, although that's been a component of it. Most of that's just because you're seeing much faster growth in residential base. There's a lot more houses being built, a lot more value there than there is in the non-residential side of things. So that's the revenue component. And on the assessment side, uh, residential makes up about 75% of our overall assessment and non-residential is only about 25% of our difference. So while the revenues are split fairly evenly, not quite 50-50, it's 56-43 now, because the residential base is so much bigger, that's why you're seeing such a differentiation between the two rates, the ratio between the two, because there's just a lot more houses able to pay that portion of the, of the tax levy. And do you know how that compares, how Edmonton compares to you know surrounding municipalities or other parts of Alberta? Is that pretty typical? It's not atypical for urban centers. Like I, th- I think that compared to Calgary and say um, urban centers like Leduc or Red Deer or Lethbridge were quite similar. But when you get into rural municipalities, you do see quite a substantial difference. And again, that relates to industrial style property, machinery, equipment, linear property, oil wells, and so on. Like uh, you'll see a much larger share of the tax will being paid by non-residential in certain municipalities. Anton's done a lot of work there. He had a policy paper, which if your listeners are interested, you can download from the city's website. Um, which sort of goes into this and, and talks about uh, tax policy and how we compare to, to surrounding communities. So we've talked at length about how these different systems interact. And it seems to me that this is a bit of a kludgy model. Do you agree? And if so, what are some improvements or some other systems around the world that you might favor? Oh, this is such a fascinating question, Troy. And Anton and I do spend our free time talking about this sort of thing because we are truly tax nerds. It's the sexiest topic of them all. I wouldn't say we are, we're on necessarily the same page. I will say that uh, property taxation is one, if not the oldest form of taxation in the world. And it's prevalent a- across 
countries. It's one of those things that is just sort of knitted into the fabric of being human. You own property, you pay tax on that property. So there's one aspect to it. Um, the, the other thing to consider is that property tax is uniquely suited to municipal taxation. We, one, are not allowed to levy other types of taxes. You know, legislation could change and, and that could be uh, something we could explore in the future. But at the moment, we're only allowed really property tax as a taxation tool. But the reason it really is the domain of municipalities is because it taxes the actual physical thing that exists within that municipality. And it's a lot easier to say, hey, this building exists within Edmonton. It doesn't exist, say, in Leduc. Whereas if you have an income tax, for example, you would have a lot more sort of variation or, or, or transporting of that tax base. It's a lot less stable. Anton, I know you've got loads of thoughts on this one. Yeah, well, I would supplement that by kind of pointing out that municipalities are also in a position where they are not allowed to run deficits, right? So we have to always make sure that the the revenues and expenditures equal out at the end of the year. And property tax allows you to do that because, as I was talking about before, the revenue that they put into that budget line is set in advance and the rate comes in afterwards, right? So an income tax, for example, a government would have to, federal government or a provincial government would have to set an income tax rate and then they just cross their fingers and hope that the economy does well because that's going to be, you know, multiplying the overall income people are going to be making by that rate they set is how much revenue they get in. And if they're off, you know, in the in the pro, then they have some surplus, they can give it away or put it away for a rainy day fund, or they uh, have a deficit, in which case they can do deficit financing. Because municipalities can't do that, the value of property tax is that it is a very stable tax, right? So it always ensures you collect what you bill, right? Or collect what you need, no more, no less, right? So when assessment values increase, we're not seeing huge windfalls of revenue because it ultimately an assessment value increase, because the formula I talked about earlier, results in a tax rate decrease. So we see that drop. But in the other sense of things, when assessment values decrease, the rate will increase to compensate. So you always collect what you get. So stability is a very important component of property tax, understanding municipalities can't run deficits. It's very predictable right, for municipalities because we know exactly what we're looking to collect and we're always going to get that amount. And it's very easy to enforce right? because, well, ultimately we know where you live. <laughs> and it's, it's secured against the property itself. Right. So for those reasons, think again about income tax, how difficult it is to enforce. You're, you have all sorts of people in the back end auditing people's income tax returns to ensure that they're reporting correctly. On our side, it's what's your assessment value? Well, that's what it is. Multiply it by the rate. That's how much you owe us. Right. So it's a very straightforward process from that perspective. Uh, but that's the distinction. Right. It's, it's a wealth tax. It's taxing the wealth of a property of a property owner. Right. In terms of that, rather than income. Right. And so they're just different kinds of tools. But those are the strengths of property tax. I would say as, um, as somebody who sort of studied economics and has an interest in taxation, a well-functioning system does have multiple tools or multiple levers it can pull. So property tax is the bedrock of municipal finance. Um, but I think that the city of Edmonton is right to be exploring other revenue streams because, you know, property tax is, is great and stable and and can sort of form the basis from which we can grow. But the more diversified we are in terms of our revenue streams, the healthier as a municipality we will likely be. 
Yeah, so it's kind of jumping on that one as well, right? That there is, in some ways, and this has been argued before by uh, a lot of our politicians, there isn't that same incentive for us as a municipality. I mean, obviously, we have an interest in ensuring the well-being of Edmontonians in a good urban form. But there isn't that financial incentive that if we can build a really vibrant city, we're going to see also revenue increases that allow us to continue to do that, right? That All those windfalls of improving our city... Uh, and the extra business that comes in, they go to the provincial and federal government. So having a component of that builds in some incentive to towards the city in, in that kind of a sense as well, right? So there's that. And then, of course, the other component is trying to have different forms of taxation that allow you to fairly allocate costs. So if you can have a, a tax that allows you to really pinpoint who is benefiting from a service, you know, like a user fee, or other forms, right, then you're able to diversify your, your revenue streams. And then the people who want to pay for those costs, willing to uh, pay a little bit more to get those extra level services, they can do so without burdening every taxpayer, right? Property tax at the end of the day is only supposed to fund those public benefit components. And if you can identify a private benefit, it's usually better to have a different tool associated with that. So you're talking about the windfall of increased business falling to other orders of government. Are you suggesting perhaps that maybe a city charter fiscal framework might have been a good idea for Alberta? <laughs> we certainly put forward a lot of ideas during the uh, the city charters. There uh, was a conversation with the province. Obviously, it went across effectively three different governments, I think, over the over that period of time. So, you know, it is it is what it is. But uh, certainly that was one of our cases that it would have benefited, especially, you know, Edmonton and Calgary, which are mature organizations. You know, we're a large Edmonton itself has 17,000 employees, right? It's a population of close to a million people, not quite within just Edmonton strictly. But, you know, we're a mature organization. And we kind of tried to make that case that let us be responsible for these kinds of decisions. And if, if it's something that tax, uh, that property owners don't like or citizens in Edmonton don't like, then they'll, they'll vote, right? And they'll make those decisions. I feel like we've just barely scratched the surface of this topic, but but already I find that it's been very helpful for me personally. I think I've learned quite a bit already. What is the what is the most common misconception you hear? What is the thing you would like listeners to take away from this? What is the sort of cocktail party if we're ever allowed to have those again? Uh, you know, bit of information that you'd like them to share with other people. I think for me, and we've pretty much covered it, but it really is that that assessors as a profession, assessors don't have a vested interest in increasing the value of your home arbitrarily. You know, big numbers don't motivate us. We really only care about the correct number. That's what really matters. Like it, if the number is correct, then we feel that one, we've done our job well, and two, you are paying only the amount of tax you should be paying. Like you're not paying any more, but you're also not paying any less. And that's really our job. So that's, that's mine. Anton, what's yours? Yeah, so I mean, I'm kind of right on that train as well. So you know, my background is political science. I am not a, a born uh, math guy. I'm and I didn't do that well in math in school. Uh, I was an art student. I preferred that and didn't really learn about assessment until I was at the city as well either. Right. But really, for me, especially being in, in political theory, it's about justice, right? This is the conversation that we have, because at the end of the day, we only collect what we budget, right? We don't collect any more, we don't collect any less. Assessment values only determine distribution of taxes. So that's to say, if one property owner is over-assessed, right, we're not making any more money as a city. They might be paying more taxes than they probably should be, but what that means is somebody else is paying not enough. So it's not fair. Likewise, if you have people who are not being assessed enough, if their assessment is too low, we as a city don't see any less revenue. 
someone else is paying too much, right? So what assessment, the assessment profession is all about is ensuring that fairness and equity, ensuring that people are paying their fair share. That's what it's all about. It's about distribution, not about how much revenue we collect. That's completely a council decision. Like Max said, we're really, I feel like we could go for hours on this uh, because we really have only scratched the surface, but we're pretty close to reaching our uh, limit of time. So I I think I'll end with one last question. Council sets the tax levy every year, and it's really their job to make sure that they're doing their due diligence to make sure the city of Edmonton are getting the best value for their dollars. So in that role, what would you say if a councillor perhaps didn't know what a, quote, tax levy requirement was? We do our best to educate council, right? There are uh, 13 of them in total, and they're, they come in and out as they come, right? So we, are do our, we always do our best to try to support them in that way. It is not... Uh, an easy concept sometimes, right? And so we do, and there's a lot of moving bits. So we do our best to try to help them get that to that point. And if there's something that's that's uh, misstated, then you know we're we're trying to help educate in the background. Yeah, just to sort of jump on that one, um, Anton in particular has done a really marvelous job of making himself available to walk councillors and council staff members in particular through these sorts of intricacies because. I think conceptually you can, like a person can wrap their mind around how assessment and taxation works, but it is weird until you have it explained to you. So um, I'm very grateful that, that we have an Anton and that Anton has been able to sort of lead the charge on explaining as much as possible to councillors how it all works. I did my best to try and get you to throw a shot across the bow at council. <laughs> We know that because, like you said, the city cannot run deficits, they have to get money in order to continue providing services, and we don't want them to stop doing that. So if no one pays, then our city stops, I guess. Um, What are some key dates that are upcoming? Well, Troy, I'm very glad that you gave me an opportunity to talk a little about this one. The city has a couple of programs in place because we do understand that the economic hardship Um, the Edmontonians are feeling, as are people across the world, might mean that the paying of property taxes becomes more difficult this year or more challenging. So although uh, the due date for taxes is still going to be on June the 30th, um, we're expecting to have our tax notices in the mail um, at the end of May, I think May 21, so the second, third week of May. Yep. Um, The due date is still June 30th. However, uh, there isn't a penalty. If you are unable to pay by the due date, you you won't be um, assessed a penalty until September the 1st. So that gives you a kind of a two-month grace period in which to to kind of manage as best you can your finances so that you're able to, to make that, that payment. Um, we also have a similar program in place for the monthly payment plan, where if you give us a call, um, you can elect to, to delay your payments, um, move them down to September if right now your financial situation is a bit precarious. Uh, we want to be able to work as much as we possibly can with Edmontonians to to make sure that like they are able to, to work their finances to the best of their abilities. But yes, as you say, we in the city need to be able to function. There's a lot of initiatives and a lot of um, needs in our community that are are becoming more and more obvious with our current circumstances and the city definitely does need uh, the revenue in order to be able to to meet those needs 
So if you are able to play, please do. <laughs> the due date is still June the 30th. And if you have some extra cash lying around, sending $1,000 by mail to Jason Kenny apparently is the thing to do now. <laughs> if you do that for the city, by the way, we give you interest on your money. We'll put it in your account and we'll give you interest. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a great deal of interest. I wouldn't suggest it as a possible savings vehicle. But hey. <laughs> Thanks so much, Anton and Kate, for talking to us. It was great to learn about taxation. If people have any more questions, where should they go to find out and learn more? We have a wealth of information on the website, um, edmonton.ca slash assessment or myproperty.edmonton.ca are two, two great ways to, to find out more about this fascinating world. All right. Well, um, that's going to wrap it up for us. Thanks again for joining Anton and Kate. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thanks. Thanks again to our two tax gurus for calling into the show and really helping us understand how the city gets paid. You all understand how we get paid, and that's by reading this ad. This episode is brought to you by Unit B Coworking. Unit B is a small multi-company co-working space focused on helping people pursue their passions and make Edmonton its creative best. And Mac, you're a Unit B member. Is Unit B open during the COVID of it all? Unit B has been closed. It's been empty. I've been over there a few times, socially distancing, of course, but no one else has been around. If you want to go to a fantastic co-working space as soon as everything opens up again... Once normal working conditions resume, you can join that tight-knit group and you can always book a tour at unitb.ca where you can find all the information that you would desire. That's unitb.ca. That's all for this week. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Anton. And I'm Kate. And we're Speaking Municipally. Municipally.